Welcome to this episode of the Frank DeMazio Leadership Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already and have a review ready to leave on iTunes. And if you could, share with your own social media people and groups. That would be fantastic so we can actually expand these podcasts into many people's lives. I've been talking about Renaissance, Reformation, and Revival. This is the third podcast. If you haven't picked up the other two, you might need to do that uh, after you listen to this podcast or even pause and go back and listen to the other two podcasts that lead up to this one on Revival, where I've dealt with Renaissance and Reformation, and now today I'm going to be dealing with Revival. The Renaissance was a rebirth, and remember, the reason I'm doing this historically is that the plagues of the 13th-14th century that took millions of lives and redefined culture and redefined government and redefined church is very much a history lesson for us who are going through a crisis right now and maybe not the last crisis that we'll go through that could result in a change in a reviving of the church and the culture and the government, things around us. I'm not so interested in trying to talk about the government and politics and even the deep roots of culture at this point. I'm more focused on the church and the message of the church and how we come out of a crisis and what could be expected. The Renaissance was the emerging response to the crisis of that day. The Renaissance was a rebirthing, an emerging of new art and architecture, uh, new literature, new writers, new painters. Uh, The Renaissance was truly uh, an emerging of a new heart, a new spirit. And the expectation during the Renaissance was high because they had been stopped for so many decades with their pain and their suffering. And so the expectation to reboot and to build something new was why the Renaissance would take root uh, first in Europe and Italy especially, and then throughout Europe and spills over into USA and other places. The Reformation was the response of the church to what the Holy Spirit was doing in that day And in that hour, Reformation, reforming, has something to do with the internal aspect of the church, and that Reformation has to have something to reform. And the Reformation we're talking about was a Reformation that started with Martin Luther, October 31st, 1517, when he nailed his 99 Theses to the Wittenberg door. And we call that, historically, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Why? Because the church had fallen into deep decay. The church had uh, been in a structural and a spiritual decay for a very long period of time called the Dark Ages. And so Martin Luther, with his thesis, 99 Theses, was the beginning of what we would call the Protestant Reformation. And that Protestant Reformation spilled over in the 1500s, 1517. And then you have many great writers and leaders that surfaced not only in Germany, uh, but in Switzerland and in France and Italy, all over Europe. Some of the greatest writers, some of the greatest thinkers the church has ever known uh, surfaced 
during that time period, the same 50 to 75 years, they were all functioning uh, in full power and influence to reform the church spiritually and doctrinally. Not all of them agreed on every aspect of the reform, but they all did agree there needed to be a returning to Christ alone, faith alone, scripture alone. There was a returning to the basics and a returning to something that the church had taken out of the people's hands. And so from that, we have what we know as the Reformation. The Reformation uh, went through, and I did this in the last podcast, and I gave you the different movements and the different leaders and different reformers and how that surfaced not only from the 1500s but right in to the 1900s. And so we see the Reformation taking place. Now I'm going to talk about revivals, and revivals are somewhat of a synonym with awakenings. And so some people use the word revival, some people use the word awakening, some people use the word renewal, reviving, all of which uh, play into the same thought pattern, and that is that God, through his Holy Spirit, does something to revive the church, and the church being revived becomes a powerful messenger to the world and the culture to bring Christ back to culture. So we have Christ in culture, which is also a book that was written that needs to be alluded to, but not at this point. So Christ in culture, Christ reforming culture, first have to have Christ in the church and reforming the church. And so that's why we have what we call the awakening. Now, the great awakening that we refer to in USA happened in 1734 and probably for a good 10 to 15 years, the Great Awakening was a revival historically that started in Northampton, Massachusetts with Jonathan Edwards, who was the pastor. After months and months and months of fruitless labor, no converts, a dead church, he finally had one, two, three, five, six converts, And then he had a particular woman that was converted who had influence sinfully in the city, and that woman being converted resulted in 300 people being converted. And that was the beginning of what we know to be the Great Awakening that began with Jonathan Edwards. In describing what happened in Jonathan Edwards' Northampton, Massachusetts church in 1734, a quote said, It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. That's about as clear a definition as we'll ever get when it comes to awakening and revival. During a revival, God supernaturally transforms believers and non-believers in a church, local church, local areas, regions, and then nation, and then the world can be impacted by something that starts in one locality. The intense enthusiasm for Christianity rose in Massachusetts so much so that it began to take over in that area of the United States, and it began to carry over to many different churches. People sensed the 
powerful presence of God. Uh, people fell under conviction, despair, repentance. Uh, prayer came easily. The services became much longer. Uh, people thirst for God's word. Uh, there's recorded hundreds and then thousands of authentic conversions that occur during the time period where the prodigals return, backsliders are renewed, and we have what is called the Great Awakening. And in this Great Awakening, Jonathan Edward, who becomes kind of the uh, architect of revival, the man that many of us still go back to, many historians and preachers still go back to Jonathan Edwards because of his preaching on revival and his writings about the Holy Spirit, which ignited the revival first in him, then in his church, and then what would be known as the Great Awakening. There's no event in early American life of more spiritual significance than what we now call the first great awakening. There would be more awakenings after the great awakening. There would be some five or six. But the great awakening was the first real turning of the nation to God. It reversed the course of history, sacred and secular. The colonies were never quite the same again, and the churches were never the same again. Thousands were converted. The church returned to a apostolic simplicity in their context, which was the gospel and the church and the kingdom of God, along with the Holy Spirit, with prayer and power and miracles and healings. The whole moral and political atmosphere of the colonies was radically purified. And even in those days, historians still refer to what happened during the Great Awakening that affected secular culture. Edwards can be considered the foremost theological architect of the Great Awakening. Edwards hosted, observed, and he was one of the only guys who chronicled, reflected on, and evaluated the dynamics of renewal and revival in the church that he pastored in Northampton and beyond his church to other churches, even to the colleges, especially Yale, because Yale was greatly affected by the revival, and they actually produced uh, quite a bit of negative uh, writings about Edwards and the preachers that he affected in the churches uh, because of the excess of emotionalism and some of the passions that even the students had when they were at Yale. The scholars did not endorse that, and ultimately they rejected that, but it did not dampen what happened with the moving of the Holy Spirit with uh, thousands of believers and hundreds of pastors uh, beyond Yale and beyond any scholarly uh, quenching of what was going on at that time period. We have with Jonathan Edwards a lot of writings, which we don't need to refer to right now, but you can uh, look up and you can find his books, and uh, I would guarantee you they would be enjoyable readings and they would help you define some things about revival. Now, revival and awakenings are generally synonyms. The larger the geography a revival covers, the greater the tendency it is for people to call it an awakening. Uh, revival, in a lot of contexts, and a lot of writers <clears throat> have been uh, a local treaty. They've looked at a local area, local church, 
a local thing that was happening. They would call it a revival in the church. Even to this day, churches advertise revivals in that way. But an awakening was something that happened in a region, a state, and beyond, and an awakening effect not only the church, but also the culture around it and the cities and etc. So uh, awakenings and revivals have a slight difference, and I'm not going to take any time to try to prove the difference. I'm just going to say I'm going to use both terms, revival and awakenings, as one term and one definition. When we talk about revival, we're talking about God's purity, the purity of the Holy Spirit, the purity of the Word, the purity of preaching, uh, coming through and causing God's people to come alive, causing the outsiders that come in to feel the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and for people to say, God is in your midst and God is amongst you, and I need to get to the church or to the place uh, where this prayer and Holy Spirit activity is happening. Revival is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord making bare his holy arm and working in extraordinary power on the saint and sinner alike. Revival is like a rocket ship that gets us back into the orbit of New Testament Christianity. And that is the cry of uh, most all leaders and most pastors Uh, we would like to see a reviving of New Testament Christianity, which puts the cross at the center. It puts the gospel as the message. It puts the kingdom as the subject. It puts miracles and healings as part of an expression of the kingdom of God. And we see in the book of Acts that when the kingdom is preached in this way, and that being New Testament Christianity as I see it, the book of Acts would be a great reviving for the church today if we could see Uh, the book of Acts come again into our church era, Uh, it would be a mighty and wonderful thing to see all that happened in Acts that happened in the church today. So we would call it a return to New Testament Christianity. Not only the historical chronicling of the church in the book of Acts, but also all the epistles that were written by the apostles that undergird what was going on during that time period and during that history. Revival is simply God's presence is intensified and God's purposes are accelerated and God begins to fulfill his vision for the world and for people. Revival is when God sees uh, a need to pour out his spirit into the church so that the church would return to this New Testament Christianity and that there would be a recovering of life from death. That's what the word revive means, a recovering of life from death. Revival brings something back to life again uh, that has either been dead or almost dead or acts like it's dead, renewing the mind, renewing the emotions, renewing the purposes. Uh, J. Edward Orr, O-R-R, one of the great revival writers, he says spiritual awakening is a moment of the Holy Spirit bringing about a revival of New Testament Christianity in the Church of Christ and its related community. Another great writer, Stephen Olford, says revival is a sovereign act of God in which he restores his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. Of course, one of the great revivalists and writers that many people still go back to is Charles Finney. He says revival presupposes that the church is sunk down in a backslidden state 
and revival consists in the return of the church from her backslidings and the reaping of souls, a harvest of souls that would be reaped by a church that has been set on fire by the Holy Spirit, and that fire causes them to preach Christ and to go under the highways and byways and restore people to God. So revival is something that impacts the church in such a way that the church begins to function like it should function, and that is preaching the kingdom of God. And preaching that kingdom, we see what happens with the kingdom of God, and that is the results of the kingdom of God begin to take place. When we talk about revival, there's a number of revivals that I would call biblical revivals that you can go to. And I might take more podcasts to do this. I'm not sure. Uh, but there are uh, revivals in the Old Testament and New Testament where we could study revivals under Asa, Hezekiah, Josiah, Ezra, uh, the book of Acts, different places uh, in the biblical setting where you can actually look at when revival took place and why did revival take place? Usually, it took place at the darkest time. Usually, it took place when there was more debauchery and more decline in the nation of Israel and in the religious institutions that uh, were in that day supposed to be presence-filled and presence-empowered, and they had sunk to a low level. And then revival would move in, and with revival would come a awakening an awakening of God's word, an awakening of what God wanted to do in and through that nation. So it is with biblical revivals. It is also the same with historical revivals. When you look at the Jonathan Edwards, to John Wesley, to Charles Finney's, the Puritan awakening in the 17th century, uh, the great awakening that I've been talking about with Jonathan Edwards, uh, all the different revivals that you can study and will refer to and do a little bit on the turn of the century Azusa Street revival. And then there are many revivals after Azusa Street, uh, many African revivals uh, in the countries of Africa and many Brazilian revivals. And there have been revivals springing up uh, other than USA, other than our own awakening all over the world. Uh, there has been some mighty awakenings that have taken place in the nations of the world. And our nation has had a share. Our nation has had a share of divine visitations and awakenings and revivals. And we have more Bible colleges. We have more seminaries than the world combined. We have more literature, we have more authors, we have more music, we have more churches, we have more church building. We have uh, so many things that have happened in our nation that was affected by revival. Uh, revivals have affected the medical community, the philosophical community, the intellectual community. Revivals in our country have roots, and those roots have values, and we're trying to get back to some of those values that honor God and honor His Word and honor prayer and honor life. And in that, that's all we're saying about revival, really, when it comes to preaching the message of Christ. We want people to receive the values of the Word of God, the values of the kingdom of God, and to be moved by those values. When you study revivals and awakenings, I see three things that happens over and over again. One is God does move in certain places. It seems like revival has a beginning point, a town, a city, a state, a place. 
a Jerusalem, an upper room, an Antioch, a house of Cornelius, a Lazarus, uh, a place where people gathered and a revival took place. We could look at many different places like Northampton, Massachusetts, and, and we could start naming other places where uh, revival took place uh, in colleges and in cities, in churches, in places, and it started somewhere. Number two, it seems like God moves at certain times, intervals. Revival is not an ongoing um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, as we would define it, that continues on and never stops. Every revival had a beginning. Every revival in its power had a ending, but the results of the revival should never end. What it revives, what it brings back, what it empowers should never end. But the actual outpouring on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was a day of Pentecost. It didn't turn into the week of Pentecost, the month, the year, the decade, the century. What happened in one day carried the power into the church that took a form from that upper room, from that place, from the leaders that were there, and from that certain time period where they needed to have a revival, God used that room to change many rooms, many houses, many places, and ultimately the building of many churches, training of many leaders, the establishing of many colleges, and the gospel being preached worldwide with missionaries being sent to many nations of the world doing the same thing, preaching the gospel, extending the kingdom of God, and establishing churches and training institutions where people would know how to preach the gospel. So there are certain places, there are certain times, 1517, 1760, 1867, 1905, 1948, 1965, we could start naming dates. And third, it seems like God does move through certain chosen influential leaders, a Martin Luther, a John Wesley, a Charles Seymour, a Charles Finney, a different people throughout the 18-1900s into the 20th and 21st century, God has used certain people to be voices for a generation. When God looks at that generation, I think God finds a place, he finds a time, and he finds a leader. Evan Roberts, who was the great leader of the Welsh Revival. Now, the Welsh Revival needs to be studied because it's the roots and the foundation to the 1904-1905 Azusa Street Revival. Evan Roberts had great influence upon uh, Seymour and his team and others uh, because they read his letters. He actually wrote to them specifically encouraging them to honor the Holy Spirit. And in honoring the Holy Spirit, they would see the same kind of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit as he was seeing in the Wales Revival of 1904. And so we have people who have been the revivalists of that time. David Duplessis in 1947 during the World Pentecostal Conference in Zurich, Switzerland, was one of those people. His influence and voice for the Holy Spirit uh, was again foundational in the 1947-1950 and beyond he said this at the ending of the conference in Zurich, Switzerland, the first world Pentecostal conference. So the first became so prophetic, so profound, so much of a, 
a signpost for the future of the church. But this is how he ended his message to that conference. There is nothing that can ever take the place of the Holy Spirit in the church. Let us pray for a greater outpouring than ever. And remember, when the floods come, it will not keep to our well-prepared channels, but it will overflow and most probably cause chaos in our regular church programs. So we have an encouragement to honor the Holy Spirit, an encouragement to pray for certain places, certain times, certain leaders, an encouragement to pray for a reviving of the Holy Spirit upon the church that will return us to New Testament Christianity. I'm praying right now, wherever you are, however you find this message, that you will lift your expectation. After a crisis, after darkness, comes light, comes message, come renewal, come revival, comes renaissance, reformation. There's a repetition of history here. I, for one, am not looking for more destruction. I, for one, am not looking for the church to be muted. I, for one, am not looking for a further decline or criticizing of churches and pastors and what was before this crisis that we're in right now and other crises might come. I want to be a voice that says, expect Renaissance, Reformation, and Revival. Expect the Holy Spirit to move in a mighty way. Expect God to bring a restructuring and a renewing of the church. Expect God to anoint the message of the kingdom and the message of the gospel. I would like to say, expect thousands of people to return to Christ, prodigals to the house of God, the message of the gospel find new root and new expansion. I'm saying today, expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. Because God is in the miracle business. God is doing something great. And this is Frank DiMazio ending this podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you can please share on your social media with friends, I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes. That helps this particular podcast get out even more. God bless you. Have the best day ever.